This morning, I felt inspired as I listened to the quiet awakening of the city of Philadelphia. Around 6 a.m., I opened the seven-foot window in my apartment living room and witnessed a northern view of the early morning sun beginning to drape the center city skyline. For the city, it was still pretty quiet, but the hum of the early commuters made for excellent white noise as I sat in the black leather accent chair tucked in the corner next to the window, mentally preparing for my morning meditation. After sitting for a few minutes, I had what appeared to be a random thought about tennis, of all things. Rather than judge it, I followed the thought to see where it led me. Believe it or not, this is actually the process of how many of my podcast episodes are created. I sit, reflect, and attempt to capture the essence of what comes up. And that formulates into messages. Images of current tennis legends dance through my head. Serena Williams and Roger Federer were really prominent, but I also saw Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. I had no idea where all this was coming from, but again, I just let go and went with whatever showed up. A few thoughts to describe these athletes began to also surface. Grace and power, grace and power. Over and over and over again, those two words came up. And my thoughts transitioned as I began to settle into a more intentional space focused on me and where I am in life. Happy? Yes. Peaceful? Yes. But there's always a but, right? Recently, I've been feeling a bit of resistance related to my current work arrangement. I've been working as an executive for a company for about nine months when I decided to transition to be a consultant for the same company, essentially playing an active executive role. The transition to consultant was important to me in terms of building my own practice and creating space for me to focus on other areas that I have interests, like developing this podcast. I thought the transition would also create some psychological distance for me. What I mean by that is I wanted to be less emotionally invested. A little background, I was bought in by the CEO to help reshape the organization, which is a relatively small family-owned company. The vision of the CEO is promising. The industry is ripe for change. It's a perfect opportunity for me and my skills and experience. However, I also want to lead my own organization and to establish a vision that reflects who I am and my desire to increase global authenticity. And I've been totally okay with that not manifesting at this very moment. So my focus is on helping the CEO and his organization because I believe I can. And why am I feeling such resistance as of late? My meditation images of tennis eventually brought me some sought after answers. But first, let's address these feelings of resistance. When I joined the organization, I was excited with anticipation. I met the entire leadership team and became acquainted with some of the staff. And this was an opportunity for me to learn a new industry and navigating new organizations has always been energizing for me. Early in my tenure, there were shifts in how the organization began to communicate. Communication was more intentional, there was more of it, and there was more awareness of where we were heading. That increased people feeling connected to something bigger than themselves. I felt very connected to the people. I often heard about how people's experiences were changing. We developed early momentum on executing a new strategy which aligned to the CEO's vision. All good things, right? Yes, they were all good things. However, like with all changes, we also had some resistance. Some leaders in key roles were passively and in some cases actively attempting to stop the organization from changing. I deduced that much of their own resistance had to do with fear fear of losing control or power, or fear of potentially not measuring up to a new set of expectations. 
There were a lot of breadcrumbs that gave me some level of insight into the why of some leaders' behaviors, but that's not important. None of that was mine to own as much as it was something in my awareness. Since this story is about me and my own resistance, what's important is my own perception of the journey of this organization and my relationship to it. There are a couple of key lessons that apply to my research theory that I had a chance to observe and experience in practice. In my opinion, this is relevant because theory is only as good as it can be applied and further understood. The first lesson is that in matters of change, and I mean all change, whether you're in an organization or changing in your personal life, a person's level of openness and willingness to change is the most important criteria to evaluate whether the change will manifest or not. Regardless of my very senior position, I can't choose the change for another human being. They have to choose it for themselves. I may be able to help them understand where we desire to go and maybe even help them to realize the origin of their own resistance. Even so, everyone has free will and has to choose the path they want to take. As the catalyst for change, I can't do the journey for them. The second lesson is that in matters of change, especially in organizations, skills and capabilities are the next level of assessment to evaluate whether the change will manifest or not. Do you have the right people in the right seat to deliver what's being asked? And when I say the right people, I'm not judging. What I'm assessing is whether they match the organization on two levels. One, alignment of individual and collective authenticity. So we're talking values, thoughts, and beliefs here. This ties to that level of openness and willingness that I just mentioned. And two, there needs to be an alignment of requisite knowledge, skills, and abilities to deliver. And for this second lesson, if someone doesn't match today, the big question is, can they get there? I.e., are they open to learning and growing? That references the first lesson. Match, match, match. Are you getting the tennis reference now? So now let's go back to my own resistance. I had a very good grasp across the leadership team of who's open, who's not, and who's a bit unsure. I've also been able to assess the leadership team's individual and collective capabilities. So I have a strong sense for the rhythm of not only how things are, but where I think they could be. Keeping in mind that all of this is super fluid based on people's openness and willingness to change. As a result, my perception of it shifts from time to time. But today, and specifically this morning, the resistance that I was experiencing was rooted in whether the organization can evolve into the potential that I see as possible. What I found myself comparing is me and the CEO's vision of the environment with where I perceived it to currently be. And I'm unsure whether the collective organization can get to where I envision it to be. I keep emphasizing I because this is about me and my view of the world. As a result, I feel like I'm not matching the environment at the moment. There's that tennis reference again. So the question for me, to me, is can I continue to be the catalyst to support the change? And will it serve both me and the greater good of the organization? As the morning continued, I began my workday. Had a few meetings and connected with a few colleagues. Everything seemed to be flowing business as usual, and it was a pretty light day. Early in the afternoon, just before 1 p.m., I received an email from a colleague that caught me a bit off guard. The email is from a person that I perceive to be a resistor of the changes the organization is going through, probably the biggest active resistor. We've had a few of what I would call run-ins in the past. This person responded to an email that I sent the night before where I attempted to explain a concept from a prior email and assure they were clear about where I was coming from. 
I would characterize the response email to me as emotionally heightened, a bit dismissive, and not really connecting to what I was intending to do, which was just offer an explanation. Prior to this email, I had praised this person in a related exchange about catching an error that me and my team created that would actually cost the organization money. So I was perplexed at how my email was perceived as derogatory in any way. In that moment, I was instantaneously triggered. But after a few moments of catching my breath and calming down, it was clear to me that the feeling of being triggered was tied to those feelings of resistance from earlier in the morning. And in an instant, I was no longer focused on the email exchange. I was focused on what I'd been feeling in terms of resistance. My awareness shifted back to my meditation from the morning, observing the tennis matches. I laughed out loud. The match, matching. The email was my reflection of the environment and I wasn't matching where we were. I had concerns about whether there was enough critical mass to truly transform the organization. The resistors of the change were in key positions and there wasn't a tremendous amount of accountability to defining, supporting, and reinforcing new behaviors. And so, in my opinion, there was a bit of fracturing. Resistors on one side, those in resonance on the other side. They were often conflicting. I'd spent a lot of energy trying to manage the conflicts. And if it were my organization, I would have made people changes after about my first six months or so, but it wasn't my organization. Ah, my resistance became that much more clear as I thought through what this means for myself. Early in my career, I gave up my power when I didn't match the environment. I think that many of us do that. We feel like we can't change it, so we just live with it. My research on authenticity in the context of leadership yielded a few different insights, but there were two that I want to highlight now. One, that leaders who experience higher levels of authenticity can be catalysts for transformational change, i.e. they essentially can change the environment, especially as followers emulate the authenticity they see in the leader for themselves. And two, when our individual authenticity doesn't align with the collective authenticity of a group that we're associated with, we experience resistance. We essentially don't match. And when we don't match, we have three options. One, stay in resistance. Two, move into resonance or out of resistance by choosing a new environment or attempting to change the one we're in. Or three, we stay where we are until something changes, which could be a combination of number one and number two. In essence, we don't experience enough resistance or resonance that we feel prompted to change. So we exist in the space that we're in. I found myself in position number two, moving towards resonance by attempting to change the environment. But there were enough barriers on the other side that I anticipated we would continue to struggle to get a critical mass for change. In the past, the old me has shifted into position number three, which is where I think many of us default to if we aren't clear. Unfortunately, it's a position of potentially feeling powerless. And I am powerful. We are all powerful. It's a matter of stepping into that. So what did I do? I offered the CEO my resignation. Shocking? Maybe. But it didn't feel shocking to me. Because I'm pretty clear on who I am and the types of experiences I want to have. And even if it feels like a big risk, I'm willing to jump into the next experience because I know that the moment I let go of all this pent-up resistance, I can release that energy and become open to an energy of resonance that moves me into a very different experience. 
Who wants to feel angry or misunderstood or whatever other heavy emotion you can tie to that type of experience? Letting go isn't always easy, especially if you don't know what's coming next. However, being clear on who you are is an important aspect of authenticity and an important part of navigating different contexts and circumstances that don't feel good to you. The more you become open to this type of experience, the less attached you will be to the things that keep you in a space of resistance or that create conditions for you to feel good. I call this conditional reality. It's when you feel good because of something else in your experience. It's something outside of you. After further reflection on the tennis images from this morning, grace and power were words I heard repeatedly. I realized that the decision to resign is me taking back my own power. My resignation is not intended to create fear. It's not a punishment. It's not about someone else needing to be different from me to feel good. My choice to remove myself from the environment is a catalyst for reducing my resistance as well as the resistance for those around me. If I'm causing challenges for some people and I'm removed from the environment, their experiences might change. This doesn't have to go down like a bad breakup. I'm ultimately offering compassion and grace to myself and others. What a beautiful revelation I just had. And through it, I feel this truer, more authentic version of me emerging. So you may be wondering what happened with the coworker. Well, I'll give you my perspective. It's not relevant. What is relevant is that they gave me a gift, an experience that brought me to a moment of awareness that allowed me to choose something different for myself. Where that takes me, we'll see. But the energy of resonance that is carrying me forward feels incredible, much better than the resistance I'd been feeling. This is leading towards a new level of freedom. I'll keep you posted. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, I am, I am, I am, I am.